podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Benny, always good to see you. Although, I should point out straight off the bat to our listeners, possibly in a bit of a grumpy mood today, Ben. Yeah, I'm not I'm not best pleased, Nat. I'll be mm. honest with you. What's up? I have been struck down by a cold. Um, it's very annoying. It's like the runny nose, sneezing, all the annoying stuff. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to check the NHS website. And I'm sure, although we've got listeners all over the world, I'm sure anyone here in the UK will have gone on the NHS website where you put in your symptoms and it tells you like, are you dying right now? Should you be contacting a mortician? Or just clarify, you you're not. You're doctor? okay. Yeah, you're okay to do the show. Uh, I mean, sure, okay. What happens after that? As long as you get the show done. Yeah, I think I'm going to be all right for the next hour. So, fine, fine. I, I went through the symptoms, hmm. and I was do I was doing all that stuff, and then some odd questions came up. Like, oh yeah, do you find yourself awake late at night? Rewatching college game tape. And, <laughs> yeah. And do, do you feel the urge to study NFL combine results or do you see spreadsheets and rankings when you close your eyes? And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And it turns out, as well as the cold, I've got draft fever. And, oh, and it's highly it? contagious. <laughs> and you don't even need to be physically near me to catch it. You just need to listen to me talk about the draft and, and you can catch it as well. So I'm I calling apologize. this here right now. Next Super Bowl. We're going to get you out to Vegas somehow because we're going to head out to Vegas. We're going to smuggle you in if we have to. We are hitting a karaoke joint because <laughs> Carlson and I have to reprise our Mustang Sally of New Orleans back in 2008. And nice. I want to get you on stage and I want you to do that 30 second preamble of who's got the fever. He's got the fever. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's Norma Jeans. I don't know, but we'll get it. We'll get it done. Well, I'm glad you got the draft fever, Ben, because this is a college day special where we are focusing our attention even more keenly on the 2023 draft class. Today, looking at the top receivers, top running backs, plus a little sleeper pick from either category from Benny as well. So that is coming your way. We're obviously going to talk OBJ to the Ravens. Big, big news breaking in the last 24 hours. How do we feel about that? We've got a jam-packed mailbag as well at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. A bit sleepy on TikTok, but we're going we're gonna to be rebooting our videos soon. So you might want to keep your eyes peeled for that in just a little bit. Uh, so we're going to get some of your questions from the mailbag as well. And a bit of a spoiler alert here. I want to talk about succession again, because last time Ben and I were on, I, I talked about succession and I've just watched episode three. So if you haven't watched episode three, listen to the whole rest of the show. We're going to do that at the end of the show. We'll time code it as well, but it will be proper spoiler. Have you seen episode three yet? Yes. Okay. It's, thank been, God. it's a good job. Otherwise God, a problem. Yeah, that would be very awkward when you just clocked off and I've talked to myself uh, for the final few minutes of the show. So we're going to do all that. Uh, that is all coming, but uh, I want to lead off. Staying on the pop culture tip to the three-point Americana Joel School gang out there. Uh, lead off with Air, which I went to see yesterday with the fam. Uh, and I was thinking, Benny, with Air. Life, and I've heard someone make this comparison before, so I'm not sticking any claim on it whatsoever. I'm just echoing it because I like how it sits with Air. Because I read, I made the mistake of reading quite a few reviews before I went to see it. But I just try and shut it out. Let's just say the reviews were were genuinely mixed. Films come out, and typically you might have 
a couple of outliers either way. But usually the critics, particularly the broadsheets, similar kind of perspective, right? Rarely does a film very much divide opinion. Air had a lot of negativity. Not this is an atrocious film by any stretch of the imagination, but this is a, I saw a snarky little two-star, uh, three-star and it got me thinking in life, Ben, and this is the uh, by no means an original NC, but there are people in life, two types of people in life. Those that put the containers back into the pile once you cleared airport security and those that don't, those just leave them. Oh, right? you with me on those. Oh, I, my God. I think there are two kinds of critics in life as well. Two kinds of or two kinds of people that will go and see air. There'll be the first group like me who did not going to claim it's the greatest film ever made, but it was feel good. It crackled, the, the script crackled, it zipped along, barely a flaw in any performance. It's just a fun two hours of escapism. It's just a feel good factor film, right? That's camp one. Then there's camp two. Those that say, yeah, but it's just like a glorified infomercial for Nike. Oh, it's just quite shallow. Oh, and just look at all the negative aspects of it. I thought it was a, a really, really fun couple of hours. In this, we're looking, recording this right now, and it is grey and bleak. I'm going to play five aside in a bit. It's going to be pissing down. And I'm sure everywhere you listen to, certainly in the UK right now, shout out to our international fan out there, but Costa Rica crew, you're probably not having this problem, but we are about to face a week of just grimness and grimness yeah, and yeah. darkness just go and lighten your life up a bit with two hours of air i i i really want to i really want to go and see it i like the people who are in it and it's a it's a it's a to me it's a famous it's a famous story and i'm sure a lot of a lot of critics in the uk aren't that familiar and if you, if you don't know what it's about it's basically how michael jordan got his deal with nike which was not as straightforward as you might possibly imagine because you'd think about the incredible success that Michael Jordan and Nike have had together. But obviously it wasn't like that. And he well, it initially... sets that perfectly. It sets that tone. But so the film starts and Nike is number three in the power rankings, right? Adidas or Adidas and Converse are the, are the one and two. The basketball division of Nike is, is virtually non-existent. And that, of course, is where the, the focus of the film is. Jordan doesn't want anything to do with him. Jordan is already committed to Adidas and run DMC are dropping tunes about Adidas. All the hipster kids are wearing them. Nike is a running shoe in the purest sense. It's got yeah. 17% of the market. It's like daggy. It's just nothing like what we know now. Yeah. Like, so I, um, two, two really good books that I've read um, cover this. So Michael Jordan wrote a book with, uh, I think with a, with a reporter from Chicago in the late night. It's probably when he retired the second time. It's a really good book, although you it really comes across how much like, how much spite Michael Jordan has. The man's angry. Yeah. Like even then, after like six NBA championships and considered the greatest player in the world, he still was trying to stick it to people who thought perhaps he wouldn't be the greatest player of all time. And another really good book <laughs> is um Phil Knight's Shoe Dog. And Phil Knight is the guy who started yep. Nike. Yep. And he also is kind of full of spite he really wanted to stick it to adidas after a while like adidas really tried to make life difficult for him and nike in the early days and and like you said you know at that point nike were just a very serious running shoe brand so like nowadays perhaps someone like a brooks who like the hardcore runners you know they'll love brooks and 
they will they will wear Brooks, but you don't see Brooks as a as a lifestyle brand. And obviously, Nike is very much a massive iconic lifestyle brand now. The the way that they were able to get Jordan was absolutely fascinating, and what it did for the company was absolutely fascinating. The pivot that they the pivot that they had to to take, and the way that they were happy to build a brand around Michael Jordan, and the Jordan brand will obviously outlive Michael Jordan to the point where. Obviously, Paris Saint-Germain, their, their, their kit is Jordan branded, not Nike branded. And there are teams in college football, such as uh, the University of Florida, who their their uniforms are Jordan branded, which it's it seems weird seeing it on different sports, but it has just gone. It has gone beyond that. I think it looks a really fun film. I do want to watch it. The idea of what is, in theory, a small moment of sports business history but it's something that it completely changed the landscape. It is the most important sports endorsement deal in history. And I doubt there will ever be a moment in sports endorsement history that will ever be able to match that. Like you make, yeah, you make uh, so many great points, Ben. I think one of them is, and understandably, look, we are, have grown up with a love of uh, American sports and Americana. I suspect uh, many of our listeners, whether you grew up with it or not, obviously, if you're listening to this show, you probably do, right? Even if you're not necessarily into your ball, into your NBA. You, you you will it will resonate with you straight away Just go and see it you'll love it and even the opening montage it people of our vintage benny it is unashamedly america in the 80s right and pop culture i mean the the first 90 seconds is just a perfectly executed smash cut snapshot of just everything americana from the 80s and i get why or i get that there are certain critics that are not going to have that affinity and even that kind of grasp of that era and so understandably are maybe a little bit more cynical about the validity and the substantial nature or otherwise of, of the subject matter and yeah i guess and i've seen a few critics have, have made this shot that they probably do try and milk it a bit that just the the impact that, that Jordan and, and his mother played brilliantly by uh Viola Davis incidentally steals that steals the movie that the impact that they had and she had a particular negotiating the deal on future endorsement deals and how seismic it was but but it's true it was it was there was nothing like it without I don't want to give too many spoilers away but you know it's history so you probably know it that the deal the terms that Jordan negotiated unprecedented and and were fundamental in changing the dynamic where athletes were able to gain more when they deserve to gain more and, and not to be exploited. And I think that is a really important point. And the film doesn't take itself too seriously either. Maybe that, that those elements, it, it gets it gets a little bit serious. But it is Affleck and Damon, who are a great tag team. Affleck plays Phil Knight, sends himself up brilliantly, but again, just underplays it. He directs it as well. I think Affleck is a really underrated director, full stop. That I was saying to one of my boys afterwards that a really you underestimate sometimes how important a director is to 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 a to a film like that. That in the wrong hands, that could have been awful. Hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, it, it was really, really deftly handled. Just zipped along. The pace was good. Uh, it didn't feel like there was okay. There was the occasional moment of awkward exposition of oh, Michael Jordan, he shot the winning shot, and you know, it's obviously you got to do a little bit of that. But it it there wasn't a weak link in the cast. So I say Jason Bateman rocks it up, but no one hams it up, no one overplays it. Even Affleck's character, which is the the most ostensibly comedic out of them all, 
he still kind of handles it well. And there's a great story I read. There's a Wayans brother in this. Chris Tucker is in it. Ben, oh. All the great. <laughs> we were talking about Chris Tucker at home just the other day because my daughter has just got into Jackie Chan films. And I need to establish mm. if Rush Hour is suitable for it. It probably isn't. But we, we over the last couple of days, we watched Police Story 1 and 2, both directed by Jackie Chan. And just, again, you need, for certain things, you need just the right director. Right. Who right. will know what to do with that particular film. And clearly Affleck is the person for this one. You know what? The other thing you need, and then we'll get into into some NFL business, a, a good a good writer and a good script. And again, when you come across a very, very bad script, as I did, I downloaded a film. I had a really long train ride to Glasgow a couple of weeks back for a Sky show. The trophy final, BBL trophy final was up in Glasgow, right? Like a six hour train journey. And I suddenly thought about half an hour before, shit, I haven't downloaded anything to watch. And I didn't just want to watch six hours of box sets. And obviously, I, you know, I did about three or four minutes of reading as well. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so I just quickly panic bought this film, with which had a Jeremy Piven in. I thought, okay, it could be quite good. I can't even remember what it was called. Uh, set in a prison, like a private prison. It, one of, it wasn't even draft day bad good. It was <laughs> one of the worst films I've ever seen. Uh, it was like kind of Kate. Do you remember those films with Van, Van Damme and Seagal that broke through like Kickboxer and Best of the Best? Yeah. And not to that, pivoting into 2022 with the, the only saving grace was a quite a decent soundtrack. But um, yeah, the, when you see films like that, you realize, oh my God, this is when you have a bad script. Uh, and how bad damaging that can be. <laughs> uh, conversely, Alex Convery, and it was his first, it is his first film. Alex Convery is the screenwriter for Air. As I said at the top, it just zips along. It's a really, really well-written script. And there was a really interesting story, I'll, I will wrap on this, that in an interview he gave about it, he said, because he'd been in, plugging away in Hollywood for a while, and this is very much that culture of a lot of writers in that game. You can make a career as a writer in Hollywood without ever getting anything made, you know, you're either punching up scripts, you have scripts that are option. Uh, a lot of the time, most of what you write is in development of hell, right? And doesn't ever get made. And he was in that situation. And he said from, this is his quote, from time to time you hear this big actor read the script, they're interested and they want to do it. And when I was first breaking in, it was like, holy shit, I've made it. And then you learn the way Hollywood works, which is you never hear they're not doing it. You just never hear about it again. Yeah. And, and so he thought the same thing Affleck apparently got in touch and said, oh, yeah. oh his agent said, oh, yeah, Ben Affleck's really interested. He's, oh, here we go again. But Affleck, yeah, he he drove and, forward with it. And the thing is, it can happen to some of the like big name guys as well. And uh, I'm using guys in a non-gendered way there, obviously. But um, James Elroy told me, oh, name dropping, James Very Elroy told me I, on the bizarre couple of days I had with James Elroy in, in Hollywood a few years back. Um, he We've got to do a whole pod on that. We did a whole separate spin-off pod on that. It was the first time I did something that went viral. Um, but yeah, he told me that he's got a very nice sideline in writing scripts for TV pilots that will never get made. And he always writes them and he always kind of will do his best. It's not like he's just churning out. He doesn't care. But he knows, yep, this will never get made. This will never get made. And he's just getting paid a lot of money to do it. It's just very few scripts ever actually make it into production, even if they're really good, even if they're read by loads of people. The, ch the chances of it one getting through is almost almost like a million to one. It is ridiculous. You know, it's got me thinking as well, just linking, linking a few points together with that whole TV writing mechanic in the States. And particularly when you've got 
a formula type show, even a show that is that is great. Like we'll we'll, we'll talk Succession, uh, uh, Sopranos, the the all time great dramas. There is obviously in those the case of those two shows a voice, uh, a cadence, a, a consistency of tonality and caliber of writing. But then you've got all those hundreds and hundreds of shows that <laughs> that don't have that quality of writing, but and perhaps even more formulaic or are particularly formulaic as a result. And that classic 41 minute CSI kind of SWAT style mm-hmm. storyline. How SWAT close again? I love, hey, hey, I love SWAT. <laughs> love a bit of SWAT. How close are we to chat GPT or something? Writing SWAT. <laughs> well, yeah, so our, our brains were going in the same place because I, if you remember a few months back, I was talking about how my wife had pointed out to me this like cheesy romance novel, a series, yes, yeah, yeah. in like a fictional NFL universe. Well, she she like read some of these. She finds them kind of great fun, to, like switch to switch off. Like her, her job is stressful. She reads one of these mindless things, switches off, loves it. And I'd said to her like, surely some of these could just be AI written. And we joked about this. And then the, the BBC had a full analysis of it a couple of weeks back where some romance writer was saying, I'm sick of people saying that these romance novels could be written by ChatGPT. And I thought, oh, OK. I thought I had an original thought. But clearly everyone who reads these books thinks these could just be written by a computer. So, so you They're get, so formulaic. Those shows are like CSI style. Yeah. And it's not a particular knock on CSI because I know it's well made. And, you know, I'm not trying. I, I, it gets me annoyed when you watch something that's getting very sort of precious. But obviously... CSI and SWAT, much as I love it, are not in the same level as Successional Sopranos. So are we going to get at some point? Because it, one of my mates was showing me, uh, playing me, a Kendrick Lamar track, a fake Kendrick Lamar track, right? Which not only sounds like him, lyrically is built out of everything he's done mm. and reformulating that. Musically, it's, I mean, it's just eerie. It's, it's eerie. Yeah, I, I mean, when when you were talking about the scripts and like, especially in Hollywood, the 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 you can make a living from punching up scripts, right? The the scripts that are like, yeah, they're okay, they need something, and you kind of add a little bit of flavor to it, and then it gets made. I would you be surprised if it turned out that SWAT or one of those other kind of generic shows, the scriptwriter was simply putting all the ideas through ChatGPT and then punching up what came out. Like let the let the AI algorithm do the legwork and then you give it a little bit of personality and make sure that the characters are a bit more interesting and you can spend an hour on it after after the computer has churned out the script. Would you be that shocked if it turned out that was already happening? Because I, I wouldn't be. I don't think any 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 AI could capture Hondos in a soul. In, in SWAT. <laughs> Just, you know, when Hondo is one of the most complex characters in contemporary American drama. Hey, um, before before we roll on, just because I've got to dust, I know I said this five minutes ago, I found the um, the Jeremy Piven, it's called The System, right? Just quickly, this was the, when the, the film was broken, uh, news of the film broken a couple of years back, it's the first thing I could find as we were talking, right? Um, here we go, this is, this is the plot. So it's quite a pretty good cast, right? Piven, heavyweight, yeah. uh, love, Love Piven particularly because when I interviewed him, sidelined for one of the NFL London games, I it, it's the usual thing when you're interviewing 
somebody sidelined unless you do it live but even then you've got a couple of minutes before it depends actually sometimes they get wheeled straight over and then the pr tells you don't ask them anything about the nfl because they don't know <laughs> oh great this is gonna go well but pivot i knew and i said to him well, you, you, i'm guessing you watch a lot of ball he's like yeah 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 and i said great so i'll talk to you about the game and i'll talk to you about you know this uh, and i said just to explain this to channel four and uh and he goes oh yeah no i know i know you guys i watch you guys Wow, Jerry Piven. So after that, Piven is an uh, all-time hero of mine. So he's in it. Terrence Howard, brilliant, underrated. Yeah, Terrence yeah, Howard. agreed. Tyrese Gibson from the Fast and the Furious franchise, who is the who's the mm. is the protagonist. Um, now I love a bit of Fast and Furious. This is the this is the plot. Former Marine, that's Tyrese, is recruited by authorities to go undercover in a notoriously dangerous prison following a drug bust. What it doesn't tell you is he was ripping off drug dealers because he had to pay for medication for his daughter. Oh, bless him. Um, yeah. After discovering an underground fight ring, he has to fight to stay alive and to take down the corrupt system. Uh, that was that was, good. That was the film. It, I mean, it sounds good on paper, right? Sounds good. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> the system. So here's, here's the moral of the last 20 minutes. Go and watch air. Don't go watch the system. Sorry, Jeremy Piven, I love you. But I, that, I have that's to. I gotta say, this is one of the better episodes of Americanage we've done. Ah, old school carnage throwback. Well, hey, we said in the off season we're going to go a little bit on the pop culture tip, and we're going to do that. Uh, speaking of which, I can trail Tom Price, comedian. You know Tom Price, of course. You see Tom Price many times these days. He he rubs shoulders with celebs every day, of course. Pricey, I think he's uh, got one of the big breakfast shows, radio shows. So he's always got. Hugh Jackman or the like in, in his studio. Anyway, he's a big Friday Night Lights fan, Price. He, he's an old mate of mine. We started out 20 God years ago and we were just kids. And Pricey and I have, have uh, known each other a long time. He knows nothing about the NFL, but he loves Friday Night Lights. So he's oh. going gonna to come on and do a Friday Night Lights special. Uh, so that's coming your way. We're going to have lots more college days. We build up to the draft. Uh, we've got some exciting news as well coming your way regarding the big game in Dublin this summer. More news dropping as we drop our shows uh, week in, week out in the off-season. But we're going to lead off as we get down to some NFL news with the Odell Beckham Jr. deal. So it's a one-year deal to the Ravens. 15 million, that's the, that's the guaranteed bit. The deal could be worth up to 18 mil, Benny. I was looking at where this puts him in the power rankings because given where Beckham is now a two slash three kind of receiver, uh, I, despite his greatness injuries have, have put him in that lane. People saying, well, inevitably overpaid. Oh, he's overpaid. This is an over overpayment just to put that salary, assuming it's 15, the guaranteed part of it, where he is in the, in the pecking order 21st, that salary this year. So I know it's not always, doesn't always work out quite this way, but Mike Evans, 16 and a half, Hunter Renfro, 15.8. Cortland Sutton, 15 on the button. So I figure when you weigh up the context he's in, that's about 22nd, 23rd. You weigh it up, you weigh up what it inevitably must mean for the Ravens, which is Lamar's coming back. We're going to do a deal with Lamar. And the that way. upside with Odell is not necessarily in total production but in clutch moment production as he demonstrated vividly for us with the Rams he's had a year to rest and rehabilitate I know there is obviously an injury risk but the upside 
I love, I love the deal. I can't believe it's getting so much criticism. What do you think? I, I also like the deal. Um, I like the deal more for the Ravens if Lamar is back, um, because I've got a lot more confidence in a lot more confidence in Lamar having the chemistry with um, Odell Beckham Jr. than any random person they managed to get in out of out of desperation. I don't think it's too much money because if his if his production is near the level of the players you mentioned, I think it's decent value. Yeah. But to me, it's how does it elevate that room? And that is being, I mean, it's statistically, it's been the weakest wide receiver group in the NFL for much of the last sort of four years. You know, you, you look at those numbers and they've been, I think, dead last a few times over the last few years. And that's with, and that's with Lamar Jackson, you know, an elite, let's say, let's say an elite quarterback. I think he's going to elevate everybody there. I think he's going to give people in that room a bit more, a bit more swagger. I think they still need to draft someone. They still need to do things there, but he's going to take some heat away from, away from other, other wide receivers in that room in terms of like, who's, you know, who are they going to put the number one cornerback on at certain points? Will it be Odell Beckham Jr.? If he starts the season hot, then look out because all of a sudden he'll be getting, he'll be getting the, um, the best coverage corners and leaving other players far more open. I do like it. And I saw people saying, oh, it's too, they've, they've timed this because um, season ticket renewals are about to go back on sale and Ravens fans are disgruntled. Do you know what? Selling season tickets in the NFL is not that difficult. You know, the idea of like, oh, well, does anyone really think that the stadium is going to be half empty if they haven't, <laughs> if they haven't yeah. signed Odell Beckham Jr.? Yeah. There's there's not that many NFL games and it is the hottest ticket. And there are only there are only two professional teams in Baltimore. And the Ravens, if they're doing well, are are so far away from the Orioles. It's it's unbelievable. So as far as ticket sales, forget that because the stadium's going to be full no matter what. I do think, I do think it's a good sign for Ravens fans in terms of Lamar Jackson. I do think it suggests there's a certain level of confidence within the building that Lamar Jackson will be their quarterback next year. And I think most of us would feel it's likely, but who knows what things will be like. In I think that's time. unquestionable because it, it's worth pointing out that chronology as well. The Jets were very interested and, and um, Odell visited the Jets, of course, earlier in the week before the deal was announced. And there was a lot of buzz that that was close to getting done. And then the Ravens swooped in with the deal. Now, they apparently have more money on the table, but I don't think Beckham's going to Baltimore unless he is being given assurances that he knows who their quarterback is. Or I suppose the flip side of that is the Jets couldn't give him assurances as to who their quarterback is going to be. Uh, and yeah. Maybe that was a bigger problem for Adele. Yeah, because I doubt very much like the he was making that choice on the idea of like, say, $2 million difference. Mm. And that's not to say $2 million is absolutely nothing to Odell Beckham Jr. But I think there is a lot more to it than just how much can I earn this year? And that's how I make my decision. He wants to go in a situation like he did with the Rams. He wants, he wants to, to go into a situation where he can win and compete. Yeah, he's at that stage 100%. I, 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 and, you know, I get it when you're being wholly disrespected uh, uh you know and undervalued i should maybe well maybe the two things are the same thing but i get that but when you're talking as you say about a, a couple of million which is an enormous amount of money to us mere mortals but uh it, not really at this stage there was uh so asking questions from the mailbag at the end he should about this unsurprisingly shout out to mark hey mark 
Is the OBJ one-year deal with the Ravens more on what he's done when healthy than a deal for someone who is at best a wide receiver two these days? So it's a really interesting point, which I guess kind of extends from where I was going with it, which is, and you know me, Benny, I love an upside deal. I, I'm i not going to mention Amari Cooper because I don't think if Ollie, when he's editing this, he'll <laughs> just send me all kinds of, all kinds of hate. Uh, incidentally, just to point out, Ollie's not here for the record today. Hmm. What a surprise. Has he got, do you got draft fever? I don't think so. I think he's out, out boozing it with his breakfast show pals. Um, yeah. Upside for this kind of money. Take the upside. What, why not? When you've got a, one of the great players of his generation, when fit, yes, you are leaning on the fact that he touches that era Beckham, but he doesn't need to do it every week. He doesn't need to be the other Beckham of the, 2015 <laughs> 16 giants we just have to be that player exactly the, the first four seasons of his career i think statistically were the greatest first four seasons of any wide receiver in history you know you you put those four seasons up against the first four seasons of anyone else and he's ahead of them now do i think he's one of the top 10 wide receivers in history no i don't i'll be honest but if you were if you were paying for that production, you'd be paying insane money. Mm. Now, I don't think they're expecting that, that sort of vintage, but can you get to it where sometimes he's getting a bit close to that? Sometimes, you know, if, if let's say he's the best wide receiver too in the in the NFL, as an example, would you pay 15 million a year for that? And I think you would. Mm. On that note, Kelvin Farrell's got in touch as well. Hey, Kelvin. At Kelvin wins on Twitter. Players taking larger one-year deals. Is that quickly becoming the new norm, he asks? It happens a lot in MLB, but it's becoming common in NFL recently. A really interesting question. I did a little bit of a deep dive on this, and I said a little bit. So, in other words, this research might be flawed. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, not a, it's, it's not a new phenomenon, first of all. One-year deals, particularly when a player's coming back from injury, which... Obviously, Beckham is. Um, they've been around a while. It's not like this is suddenly floated in latterly. I guess the question is, is the volume and uh, um, the uh, propensity for both teams to be open to that kind of deal. Players usually abound into that. It's a prove-it deal, isn't it? A one-year yeah. deal, typically because of injury or, or horrendous form. And for all kinds of reasons, they don't want to sign such slim pickings but do you think players now with the market are more open to it we're seeing more of them they're just a hand is being forced well what's your take on it yeah i think i think their hands are being forced to a certain extent i think um i think a lot of owners and gms are just trying to be more more prudent and i think what's happened is more high profile players are doing those sort of deals mm. which makes them more attractive for everybody and the thing is is that when you when you sign one of those one-year approval deals, you are you are betting on yourself. And it takes a certain level of confidence. And a lot of these players, if they have if they have had elite production in the past, they will bet on themselves. Obviously, one of the big downsides is an injury. The if if you're having a great season, but you have a devastating injury, you are screwed. You know, um, whereas if you're in a if you're in a three-year deal, you've you've got some you've got something to fall back on. I mean OBJ is the perfect example for this, but he's not he's not the only one. And I think we will continue to see more and more of it where players want to take 
more of their own future in their in their own hands and that they would rather they would rather do this than tie themselves to a deal that they feel does not reflect their value they know that you know you'll you'll do that prove it deal and if you do prove it then you are going to get one probably one last massive contract you know, looking at the one-year deals, the major ones anyway, or big names anyway, from last year. Um, James Bradbury, great example. He signed a one-year deal for $7.25 million with Philly. Re-upped, what, a three-year deal. I think I yeah. called that one of my favourite deals of the off-season, actually. Then you've got... Um, who's, so Jarvis Landry signed a one-year deal with New Orleans. It didn't quite go to plan. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi. Uh, with the with the the Steelers sign a one year deal, Evan Ingram. So it's a mix. It's a mixed bag of better. Raheem Mostert was a one year. Juju with the Chiefs that worked out well for both sides. Uh, Julio with the Bucks was a one year. Yeah, you see, I mean, those two are, are very representative, I guess. And you put Beckham in that. The Beckham twenty twenty three is very much in both of the you know yeah Julio and and certainly Juju uh, of that um, of last year. Okay, uh, one more kind of around this. Just rolling back to the Jets for a minute. Adam Archer, is Rogers ever going to become a Jet? What? Where are you on this now? And I know that talk shows are done to death about this, so I don't want to spend long on it. And we've talked a fair bit about it over the last month. What is likely, most likely to happen? It's still that it'll get done in New York, right? I think everyone's assuming it's going to get done. Or are you worried yeah. the longer it goes on? Maybe not so much. No, I think if, if I was a Jets fan... I would worry the longer it goes on, the worse the deal will be for the yeah. Jets. Yeah. Um, I feel that the more that the more time passes, the more the more desperate the Jets will be and the worse their bargaining position is. I don't see any possibility that Rogers is not a Jet next season. I just I do not see that as a possibility. But the as time as time goes on, I start to think that it increases the potential that it's a, a first round pick going to Green Bay as compensation, which is a very steep price. I yeah, think well, this would be this would be so good. Ago, we're talking two seconds, like maybe a couple of seconds, or you know, yeah, second yeah. and a third, which we were surprised about. Yeah, it's gonna be a first now, isn't it? Which yeah, I, I, I don't know. I still think is is value for for, for Rogers. I don't know. I, I, I mean if if you if you're just looking at sort of talent and what he can do then yeah, but you're also taking on an atrocious contract mm. that really could, like there are certain teams and you know, the Bears have done this where they will, they have traded players away for very little because the contract is so bad that it's such a team unfriendly deal that just having, let someone else take that poison chalice and like, yes, you're going to get this good player we don't want to deal with the salary cap hell that that puts us in. So Green Bay, if they can get a first round pick out of this, they've done really well because I've I've talked before how the way that they've kicked the can down the road with the salary cap with Rogers and they've done this deliberately, not because they thought they could trade him, but just they thought we've just got to keep getting as many Super Bowl runs out of him as possible. And it hasn't quite worked out because obviously he's only ever been to one. But the possibility is always there because he's been one of the great regular season quarterbacks of all time but they just kept pushing that salary cap down the road and it was it was always gonna have to be paid they kept restructuring but it still has to be paid and now a lot of it will be paid by the jets so they're taking on the the poison pill of the contract and potentially losing a first round pick and this is all because they drafted zach wilson 
Yeah, 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 it is. Although, hey, it might come come good at, in the all-in era that we're in now. I I think if Rogers goes and he's ready to roll, Aero Super Bowl contender. They're, they're yeah, right absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that, you know, we could be we could be sat here in 25 years' time talking about the film that's coming out, like about Zach Wilson coming off the bench in the playoffs. Rogers gets injured in the playoffs. The the 16 and 1 Jets, number one seed in the AFC, goes down in the divisional playoff. Zach Wilson comes in wins the Super Bowl, goes all the way with them. That's something that could happen. I like That's that. Sports. I want to take it a bit further. And Zach Wilson is out of the NFL. <laughs> Him and Josh Rosen are running a quarterback camp for underprivileged high school kids in, I don't know, I want to say somewhere in Texas. Or maybe, okay. yeah, so we're going to do somewhere in Texas. And they get a call. Wilson from his old agent because there are some teams looking for a practice squad arm. Yeah. And Wilson's yeah. saying, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I think, you know, my pro days are done. And then do they discover, Oh, can this be part of the quarterback franchise? Do they discover in a shed in Texas, Rosen, maybe I've complicated it with Rosen in there. I don't know. Maybe you could help <laughs> me get, get chat GPT on there now, work out how we get Rosen back yeah. in. But I, I think Quarterbot's there, just with a dusty sheet over him next to the Combine Harvester. I love it. Hey, speaking of which, you watch any Mandalorian? You love a bit of Mandalorian, don't you? I do. I do enjoy have, the Mandalorian. Have you seen the latest episode of Mando where they go to the droid bar? Oh, yes. Yes. Quarterbot <laughs> would love it there. Quarterbot would absolutely love it there. He's like, put, uh, the, put the game on. Put the game on. Quarterbot <laughs> would be at the bar watching the game progressively hammered right jeffrey simmons a uh, big new deal for him getting re-upped four years 94 million uh the titans bagging their man his numbers justify it. 21 sacks 19 pass defended two forced fumbles 56 games he's racked up those stats uh yeah not messing around simmons locked in uh with tennessee reports coming out that John Elway gone from the Broncos. This yeah, really, really interesting. You kind of figured he was a lifer if you wanted it, uh, despite all the shortcomings he's had as a GM. I mean, I guess you've got to look on the positives that, as was pointed out actually by uh, Mike Sano in The Athletic early on, because I think the book on the second era Elway and as a player, one of my all-time favorites and if you are part of that generation that goes back and looks at tape because he didn't grow up with Elway, he was talent-wise right up there, but couldn't get it done until the end of his career and, and got the Super Bowl rings at the end. Of course, Marino, uh, a contemporary of his, didn't have that, didn't have that option. But he was always the nearly guy, but but it came good at the end. So one of the great quarterbacks and prototypical all-American quarterbacks of his era, as a GM. I think he's vilified, really, isn't he? Because of all the Paxton Lynches and the, all the missteps. But he delivered, as Sando and the athletic team point out, he delivered Manning. He delivered. Would Manning have gone to Denver if Elway hadn't been there? No, no way. And the thing is, is that I think, I think he was he was basically in the wrong job. I think that um, his level of talent assessment wasn't wasn't quite there. And I think it can be hard sometimes for those players who have 
done so much themselves to be able to understand that certain players just can't do it and that they'll look at some of these players and think, oh, you just need to work harder or you just need to work on this and it'll be okay. Mm. And I think he would he would see things in players like a Paxton Lynch and think, oh, I I can see the potential there instead of seeing uh, I'm seeing too many flaws. Yeah. Whereas you put him you you put him in the room when you're trying to make a big free agency signing or make a trade and you put him down with someone like Peyton Manning, who, you know, they were actually in the NFL at, at you know, as as Elway was finishing, Manning was coming in. Manning could sit sit down with Elway and they would have such similar experiences. They they knew what it was like to carry a franchise on their shoulders because that's what that's what Elway did with the Broncos. The like the Broncos have had no success until they traded for one of the one of the great draft day stories. They traded and got uh, and got him, and he you know he took them to five Super Bowls. And the only person who's ever reached five or more Super Bowls as a quarterback with a single team is is Tom Brady. You wouldn't have Manning in Denver if not if not for John Elway, but you obviously wouldn't have had Paxton Lynch either. He he shouldn't have been too involved in the drafting. You should have him in the room when it comes to other things. I think that's that's it. And it just feels like it's sad that he's not involved with the Broncos. He'll never be involved with another franchise. I just I don't think it'll ever be like that. He mm. could only do it. He could only do it. Um he could only do it for the Broncos. And because for pretty much any of us, like I, you know, you go you go back, he was drafted in 83. Pretty much anybody who's followed the sports in the UK will be associating him with the Broncos. He has been involved with the Broncos for much of the last four decades. Mm. So it's it's probably time because there's a lot of now like big personalities there, the Broncos with the new owners and with uh, with Sean Payton as well. That there's perhaps there's only so many egos you can you can have there. But I do feel a little bit sad about it. Yeah, I do as well. I, I completely agree. There's something kind of melancholic about it. Although I like to hope that he's now just going to hang around the corporate boxes, fill in his boots. I, I'm, I'm quite like to see Elway just getting progressively hammered during games. <laughs> yeah. Dad's, well, you know, you, Dad's, you, had, you think... Dad's got a few of them. That's that kind of warning. <laughs> warning as you know. Yeah. Okay, you think about you. when he won those Super Bowls, um, he was not the player he was when he was taking them to the first three Super Bowls. Sure. Manning you know, has... when when they had the when they had the D on the helmet, it was all about him. And when they had the horse's head on the helmet, it was about the, the supporting cast. And he was he was kind of guiding them. So whatever whatever his next step is, I hope he's just surrounded by greatness. I hope there's someone who's like a Terrell Davis type person next to him to be like, do you know what? I know whatever you want to do, I'm going to help you get to the next level. I have one more for you, and then we'll get into your draft prep. Cliff Kingsbury to USC, which yeah, an interesting spot. So it's being reported that his role is uh, technically or officially, I should say, his title is going to be senior offensive analyst. Uh, much as propose, of course, on on this show. Uh, actually, you know, Mike, that's my my offensive. Very analyst. offensive. Uh, yeah. A big part of Kingsbury's role will include game planning, watching film with Coach Riley. Oh, the irony when you think about the Kyler Murray contract. And a big part of quarterback meetings, according to the source reports, uh, Antonio Morales and Bruce Feldman. Mm. Uh, it's it, I, great fit. Great, yeah, fit. Great, great fit because he will enjoy it. 
right? He like so Cliff Kingsbury, his his home when he was the coach of the Cardinals was incredible. It looked like he enjoyed living there. He looked like he enjoyed his life. He looked like he was enjoying his life more than most head coaches enjoy their life. And it might just be because he puts better pictures up on social media than some of the others, right? Now, getting that sort of gig at a high-profile college with high expectations and star players and an exciting offense is it's the it's the perfect rehabilitation and it's happened a lot with Alabama where Saban will spot a former big head coach often like you know someone from the NFL or some big name coach and he gets them in as some sort of like quality control guy mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. going to be an offensive analyst for a year you're going to earn a decent amount of money but you're not going to be running the show you're going to have some input you're going to help people are going to see that you're productive and you are going to leave in a year's time for a proper job and like that's that's how the deal so what's is. in it for kingsbury i mean outside of the climate and the christy gig it keeps you working i suppose that's yeah. a good look you don't want to be he'll... oh why didn't no one's had him for a couple of years the longer you're out of the game it's harder to get back in yeah he's going to be an offensive coordinator somewhere in 12 months time either in the nfl or at a big college i would say he i'm expecting coaching... texas tech though before wasn't he he was he was he was and that was that was a mixed bag um they didn't really play much defense it was not a balanced team they would really throw the ball and they were fun to watch but they would generally lose mm-hmm. uh it was interesting when he came to the nfl and i thought you know is he going to be able to adapt to it and i think he did not he wasn't a massive success but i don't think it's because he couldn't adapt it's just because most nfl head coaches are not a massive success but he did okay and he's still young he's got so much so much more he can do so i would guess he's a he's got a high profile offensive coordinator gig this time next year and this is the step this is the step to doing that and usc will be a great showcase for him i think they're going to be they're going to do well they're going to score a lot of points you're going to see him on tv a lot when they're scoring points and he's going to get a lot of attention and he'll be he'll be in a pretty nice gig next year and he'll be he wants to be a head coach again i'm sure so i think he'll he'll be on his way uh, and he'll definitely have a ponder in Malibu. Uh, oh, hell yeah. I want to go to a party in LA with Cliff Kingsbury. We should make that happen. Kingsbury, quarter bot, John Elway, getting quite tagged up. Brett Favre, <laughs> too, too far? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, let's keep him out of the group chat, but the rest of them, fine. Do you think Favre's getting frozen out by everyone? Oh, I, yeah, I think so. I think he's becoming quite toxic. It's... It's. I mean, I. I don't think. I don't think Rogers is going to have that sort of arc mm-hmm. where people are accusing him of like defrauding a state um, and things like that. And I don't think he's going to be sending, um, you know, dodgy pictures to people. But yeah, I. There's some sort of curse of the Green Bay quarterbacks. I think is Favre going to go properly alt right and start supporting Trump, like Scott <laughs> <I> Mayo? <laughs> you'll be one of the pic- few that will, few celebs that will put their neck up and say. For Trump, uh, I mean, I'd be amazed. I'd be amazed if Trump, um, if if Trump and Favre are not on the same page about things. But I did see yeah. Joe Burrow. What, didn't I see a picture of Joe Burrow shaking hands with Trump the other day? Say it ain't so. Well, the I thing think... is, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it. But I do think sometimes these things can get overblown when the context, particularly if he was, was he president at the time, or even actually still a former president. If you're suddenly in a social situation, you're like shit, you're put there. You, you can't just. It's more no, of a story. 
you know. Exactly. And I think it was, there was Trump. Yeah. The two were introduced yeah. unexpectedly and he shook his hand. And the yeah. people were like, oh, how could Joe Burrow do this? What is he meant to do in that situation? Exactly. When you're in that situation, it's not as straight. I mean, I'm sure there will be some quick-witted, quick-thinking and who feel particularly strongly as well. And maybe Burrow doesn't, you know, I don't, look, we don't want to go too far down that road in particular. But I suspect that, I suspect a lot of our listeners would probably share the same opinion about Trump. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be uh, able to on and even if you are even if he was thinking of burrow i mean out of any quarterback burrow's probably gonna be the one to call hand luke think quickly yeah it's not necessarily the right play i mean you know these i think that is overblown when you see that um, exactly Rome, you know, romo, John... romo as well i think it was a shot of romo with trump and it's all right there were some charity golf thing i mean calm down yeah if if they're not on social media spouting off about presidential policies I don't care about a picture being taken, yeah. you know, when you're just put in that situation. Like with Joe Burrow, when he was drafted, when he could have been talking about anything, he talked about food poverty in Ohio yep. and how there were kids in Ohio going hungry. And if people want to look at a picture where he's unexpectedly shaking hands with um, with Trump at a social event where they just happen to be in the same place and judge him on that, rather than the context of what he was talking about when he was drafted, then I think you're crazy. Because I think what he said on draft day sums up the character of Joe Burrow, not just a random picture. I will say, though, that if I'm ever in a situation where I have to shake <laughs> Suella Braverman's hand, I'm doing uh, what Biff did it to uh, George McFly in <laughs> Back to the Future. <laughs> Just want to be clear about that. And, and you are, you are going to be doing the next show from Rwanda. And I don't know what I don't know what the time difference is. We're gonna to have to make that line up. God, back in my back in my comedy days when I was doing, often would do guest spots on. I was doing when I was doing a lot of five live. I was doing a guest spot on the breakfast Sunday morning breakfast show quite a few times, and that I've told you about this before, Benny. I'm sure, but listeners, when you find yourself in a situation where you'd be in a studio with Ross Kemp, Gordon Brown. And I was, yeah, Roskin, Gordon Brown, and the brilliant Laura Solon, who's now over in the States uh, writing comedy. Uh, look up Laura Solon. She is one of the great comics of our generation. It's just surreal moments like that. And um, it, it, now I guess the, the, the risk would be you're in, a, you're in there and it's re-smog. <laughs> I just don't think I can hold it down. I don't think I can. I don't think I, can, I, don't, I, don't think I could. Uh, okay. Let's get down to business with draft prep, starting with receivers. So we pick three receivers, three running backs. We're going to rapid fire them and have a sleeper pick as well. So the principle here is to get you guys up to speed and the present company included as well. Benny's going to get us all up to speed. The names you need to know as we get closer to the draft, because some of you might have been watching it keenly. Even then, you got the insight of Ben to give you his pearls of wisdom and his take and also possible landing spots. Many of you will know the odd name but just want to be draft ready draft set so we're going with the big names big positions starting with receivers who are your top three uh can i just give you a little bit of trivia the ravens are the only team to never draft a pro bowl wide receiver so wow yeah there you go um so my my number one wide receiver right now and i had gone back and forth but right now it's jackson smith and jigba from ohio state he's 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 so dynamic 
Um, Ohio State have been a real kind of like wide receiver factory in recent years. I love Chris Olave as well. Um, slot receiver? He, I mean, he can do it all, to be honest. Like, um, he can be like a kind of split end guy. He can just do, he can do a bit of everything, right? But he is really fast. So he's got, he's got a really good first step, but then he just, he keeps going very fast, very athletic. He's the sort of guy who I think is going to be such a weapon on third down. And I've said that it's not a great year for wide receivers, but I think Jackson Smith and Jigba would be a first round pick in any year. Um, it just happens to be that he's, he's the best one. I've seen it at mock draft Packers looking at him at 15. Do you think that could be a, yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, it would be, it would be peak Packers to hmm. draft a high end wide receiver as Rogers is leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would. But if the deal's already done by then, it'd be a proper, proper goodbye, goodbye, uh, Rogers. All right, so he's going first round. Any other first rounders? Yeah, I mean pot- potentially. I mean, I the only other player I like as a as a first round player is Quentin Johnston from TCU. Um, he's again, he's fast. He's got like a he's got big body size. He is a big target. Um, fantastic in the red zone. Um, you see him when he's when he's got the ball and there's a defensive back coming at him. He can just barrel them out of the way. Uh, and another player who is absolutely lethal on third down. Um, he's had some injuries and he's at certain points, he's like he's come back from injury and hasn't seemed as fast. And then he just, he, it seems like it takes a while to recover, but he is a really solid guy. He's, he's first round talent, but in, in other years where it's been such a great wide receiver class, I'm not sure he would have gone first round, but I think he will this time. Okay. And then Jordan Addison, USC receiver. Every time I read a bit of draft Nick insight on him, pretty much every single one has the word versatile in that. Oh yeah. 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 So yeah, he, to your point uh, on Jackson, Jordan could do anything. And he's a returner as well, isn't he? He's a kick returner. At a pump yeah, I mean, we'll see whether he whether he sees much action. Do I mean if he if he starts if he starts getting a lot of uh, a lot of snaps on offense, I don't know whether they'll want to risk him on returns. But he is a, he is dangerous with that. He's undersized um, compared with the other guys that we've that we've talked about. But you know, he 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 kind of plays bigger, but he is he is a skinny guy, and he's not as tall as some others. So that's that can be a worry, but he's a very tough guy, very competitive. Um, he plays bigger than he is, if you know what I mean. Um, great burst. I like Jordan Addison a lot. Okay, and then your sleeper pick is great name. This Nathaniel Dell from Houston. Nathaniel Dell, aka Tank Dell, and he is not built like a tank. Um, he is skinny and he's short, which is kind of the death knell for a wide receiver, but he is just an absolute playmaker. And his stats in college are are, are unreal. You know, he's just the, I, I think he, he's averaged like over a hundred yards over his, over his college career. He has been so consistent. I, I don't know what round he's going to go in. Like some people are absolutely in love with him. And some people are like, there's no way that, that Dell has the frame to, to play in the NFL consistently that he will just get, he will get injured, mm-hmm. but it's like you get the ball in his hands and he is absolutely 
electric. When I think like of McDaniel's, Delver, my McDaniel's taking him. Or I know, Andy I know. Reed, Andy Reid or McDaniel, I guarantee it. All right, love the sound of that. Running backs. Um, yeah, I've asked you this one before because we've talked a bit about running backs. Bijan Robinson is yeah. the standout. Does he go first round? Is he the only one? He's the only one that could. Does he go first round? I think he will go first round. I think someone, yeah, because he's because he's so good. Like, um, I'm generally against taking one in the first round, but he is like a Saquon Barkley style player, and I think he will go first round. I absolutely love him. Um, it just makes me nervous. I it's very rare that I'll say take this guy in the first round, but he's you're gonna get if you get if you pick up your option on him. You're going to get five brilliant years out of him, I think, and it won't cost that much money. Right. He's got right. great vision. He finds the holes. He can gets a lot of yards off the contact. He's great in short yardage. He's he's great at everything. Like I think Bill Barnwell was saying about how if this was forty years ago, we'd be talking, will he be number one overall? And instead, we're talking, will he be a first round pick? Which just tells you like the way that the value. Of it has changed. Um, Jimmy Gibbs I, from Alabama, second on your board. Yeah, so he's he's not a first round talent. Um, he's someone I do I do I do like him. He's really elusive. He seems like he's really slippery, and he'll kind of get through the hole, and he'll he'll get somewhere, and he'll be he'll be patient. He'll wait for the things to like, wait for it to open up, and then he's just gone. Um, he was he 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 split the carries in the backfield, so. That's a double-edged sword. You might feel like, oh, well, he hasn't got as much experience as I would like, but also it means he hasn't taken as many hits. Yeah, His yeah. teammates love him. Saban loves him. And he's a kind of, he's a high-character guy. Physical, big. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not like, not an absolute massive bruiser. But yeah, he's the sort, he's the sort of person who can, who can kind of like put his shoulders into it. He's strong enough to like get through those tackles. Okay, love that. And then Zach Charbonnet, UCLA. Yeah, so Zach Charbonnet is he's divided opinions, really. And I really I really like him. But some other people feel like, well, he's overrated. Like ESPN did a big thing about him being overrated, that like he's he's a bit kind of one note. And I I feel I feel it's a bit harsh. I think there's a lot, there's a lot that he could do. Um he's I feel like I feel like this is this is one where I could I could get this totally wrong that maybe maybe he is terrible um and <laughs> that he's like a fourth or fifth round guy but at UCLA they called him they called him the terminator the way like he was just so productive so many touchdowns such a hard worker but a lot of people feel like he's just not He's just not got it at the next level. He won't be able to. That's a difficult to nickname to roll in as a rookie into training camp. <laughs> no, I know. He's going to exactly. get a lot. He just hopes he's going to end up in Pittsburgh. He's going to get yeah, uh, a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, he, he put, he lots of, lots of, puts a lot of power in. He's a, he, he's a bruiser. And I think that a lot of people feel that like he had, he had a knee injury and like whether he's going to be able to, whether he's going to be able to play his violent style in the NFL is up for debate, but I've just loved watching him so much. And maybe his movement is a little bit stiff. He's not as good as the, he's not as good as the other two. And I think most people would feel like um, the, the two that I previously mentioned are the clear best two. And then there's a drop off mm -hmm. for me. Charbonnet is the guy.
and your sleeper, Dwayne McBride from UAB. Yeah, that's the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Yeah, if you uh, if you if you're not sure, like he's someone who like into in today's NFL, you want somebody who can catch the ball. He he can't really catch the ball. Like I think you could just you could just like pass the ball like one yard, and he seems to struggle to catch it. You've just got to have him as a guy who, if you've already got your your lead your lead running back, someone who you can spell with. I think he's the guy. He's like a real kind of like running back by committee, but he's that power. He's that power back. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed watching him, and I think he's someone who people don't know too much about. He's a good athlete. He's a hard worker, a nice kind of downhill runner, someone who like hits the hole hard. I think he's going to make someone really happy with like a, the fourth round pick, and they'll be like, "Oh, who's who's this guy?" You know, someone like there'll be fans who are like, "I don't, I don't know this guy. I don't know anything about UAB. I've not seen them." And then they'll start to see some stuff in training camp, and be like, "Oh, I like this guy. He's going to stick around." Then, well, they'll know all about him if they listen to the NC Show College Days. There you go. And there's more where that came from. We are going to get you set for the draft in the weeks building up to it. We've got questions from. The mailbag as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold back the rest of them actually because they're kind of general draft ones that we'll get into uh in and we'll yeah, we'll we'll batch them up and get into them over the coming weeks. And keep them firing. You don't have to just wait for the call to action on Twitter or on social channels at the NC show. And uh, we get DMs on Insta as well, Facebook questions there too. So whatever your platform of choice is, fire them in and we'll get it into them. Speaking of Twitter, let's wrap. Talking a bit of succession, as we promised. Uh with a tweet from a Ben Isaacs tweets from Ben oh, a tweet about a week that... ago, watching succession says Ben and wondering which characters are like people from the NC show is Carlson sports. Logan is Ollie Thornton. Greg, Ollie's so Greg. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely I, Greg. Greg Carlson's obviously Logan. You are definitely Roman. <laughs> I, I was horrified to hear that and I had no argument against it. Were you really? Hor- I mean, the thing is, they're all horrible. So you can't win with a uh, no, succession character, are you? I mean, are there any are there any characters you would be okay with being compared to in Succession? I mean, None I don't of the major ones. No, I, I think that all the all the major protagonists are horrible. Even like the even Logan's flunky let long stand lieutenants are all just slippery slimes. Yeah. Um, I, of course, got, I think, by press of elimination from Alistair. Hey, Alistair. Uh, does that make me Kendall? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it absolutely does. I I oh, I did have a bit of Connor. I've got a bit of Connor in me. <laughs> I, run, I run for president with 1%. Oh, <laughs> I run did. for prime minister with 1% of the vote. And Connor desperate for Logan's approval all the time. Is oh, that he's desperate Connor. for Carlson. <laughs> yeah. That's me and Carlson, 100%. Um, so when we last talked succession, I suggested, and I dwell on this a little bit, on the pod, I was just worried after episode one, I really hope it doesn't get indulgent, isn't a victim of his own success, like some shows in the past that have had a great, and I know succession is already in that top, top tier, but had a really great hype, great amount of success early on. And starts to believe in it. Starts to get, particularly with the performing and the indulgence, going full circle. What we're saying about air, so well handled and underplayed. And I was worried that there might just be a couple of glimpses in that in episode one. Two more episodes on, 
not even close. It is even better than before. The third episode, which we have just seen, I don't want to drop the ultimate spoiler if you have. We can tap dance around it, Benny, because we're running out of time anyway. Sure, sure, sure. We'll, We'll have plenty of succession chat on the show. Suffice to say, I think that was up there with the all-time great hours of drama in our lifetime. And I'm not overstating it. It was utterly compelling, brilliantly acted. I was thinking of the the Sopranos. It's it's almost churlish to pick an episode, but I love the Kevin Infinity episode when when Tony's under anesthesia and has his dream of this alternate reality. I think that's brilliant. Um, the one where Paulie and Chrissy get lost in the woods. Is that's that's the, the one that was in my head, yeah. yeah. The West Wing episode when Toby finds out about President Bartlett is... is re- I mean, there are certain hours of certain shows or certain episodes of certain great shows that it's churlish to pick one. What's your favourite episode? But when you watch it, you can keep coming back to it for different reasons. It, it has a poignancy that elevates it or at least makes it distinctive from the other greatness around it and this episode episode three of the latest series of succession for me was one of those episodes it will go down i feel as one of the great hours of of, of american drama it was so i think the episode was something like 61 minutes long and okay. when the end credits came on i just looked at my watch like what yeah i because i felt like i'd been watching it for about 20 minutes because i was absolutely transfixed by those by those performances it, and it's kind of the it's the it's the small things that they do. And I was I was reading something earlier today about the cinematography mm-hmm. of that particular episode. And in certain bits, it's the symbolism of certain of certain shots. But more of it was just being able to being able to like set up set up those shots to show the emotion and to show the personality of those of those characters. And as we said, like all those characters are basically horrible but to show that they're not just kind of one dimensional caricatures. Right. That's the brilliance brilliance of the episode. Well, one of the brilliant things about it. And you're so right. The way the the performances are are, are superb, but the cinematography, the visual aesthetic, the movement, again, without giving away the massive spoiler, it's, it's hard to elaborate upon that. Suffice to say that all perfectly executed in 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 rhythm, the music as well, and I've talked about it before. I think about the uh, the score and and how fascinating the thinking behind the theme tune is, or the, or the piece of music that's used for the opening credits. But the score throughout echoes that this melancholic, beautiful score that just has this jarring, off kilter fragmentation in it it's just it's just that's going to end up in suits corner of private <laughs> but it's just it's just brilliant the but your point on how horrible they all are and yet you have some sympathy for for each of them even yeah even i was reading um one of the broadsheet reviews today of the episode and um god not greg what's um what's shiv's husband called um tom 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 tom, tom of course tom sorry in Tom, they made the point this point with Tom, but I think it could be made to all of them. Is that he shows real empathy at a cr- crucial stages, and then yeah. flick of a knife is just this ruthless, horrible Tom that that we know, and and all of them in in different ways demonstrate this depth that you pointed out. That is the testament to not just great acting 
and great directing, but brilliant writing as well. Yeah, the the actress who plays um, Shiv, who I, whose name escapes me right now, our Australian actor, she um, the way that she can kind of change expressions so quickly and so naturally um, as as a situation changes is just unrivaled. The things that she can do just with her face is absolutely amazing. the The cast of that show is, I I. I mean, I can't think of a better ensemble cast from the last decade. It is absolutely outstanding. They are, I couldn't agree more, Kit Culkin. I mean, just to pick one is, again, it's Charlish, right? But Kit Culkin, it, it, I mean, they're, oh, they're all at the peak of their powers. Alan Ruck, the great Cameron from Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Just completely. I mean, that's such a difficult role as well, I think. Yeah. And he, and I, he there's... You know There's what I noticed a, about a, him? And they, they they gave the backstory about the cake, the wedding cake, and Tamara's wedding is the episode, right? And not Tamara's wedding. I'm, I'm going all, all Cameron Connor's from Connor's wedding. Cameron from Various Bueller. Yeah, Connor's wedding is the episode. And they the, the moment when he's first kicking off about the wedding cake, and there is a backstory as to why he's kicking off about it. But it's something I've noticed about his character before, where he seems to be the most, on the surface, the most easygoing, the most chilled. He's not really, but he's got an absolutely vicious side to him as well. Yeah. Arguably the most vicious side of all. When he kicks up, he just suddenly goes like a, a crazy, like properly off it. Ah, oh, that it's absolutely brilliant. Succession, if you if you're in any doubt, go. And, sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes people say, "Oh, I, I miss this series. There's so much stuff out there. I'll go. I'll get round to it. I'll watch it all in totality." And so there might be listeners out there that or dipped in and it didn't quite connect and then i leave it i'll just go and get involved it is up there with the sopranos with the wire with the west wing as one of the all-time greats yeah it's it's easily for me uh in the top 10 greatest dramas yeah um in fact not just dramas top 10 greatest tv shows swat there i said it <laughs> yeah swats in there what is it there for me I'm, I'm sorry it is Benny brilliant stuff at tweets for Ben more college days next week what are we looking at next week lineman edge rushes yeah we should yeah. we should definitely do yeah let's let's focus on the trenches next week alright love that so keep your questions in for Ben and we will just general draft questions as well we will do them all over the coming weeks look after yourself feel better bud cheers see you soon Podcast Network.